It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. All right, I've seen this format before. I've been doing the show. It's now's the time when I actually talk. Admiral James Starvitas in 10 minutes. Ed Rollins, uh, one of the most fascinating political operatives out there with the most experience, arguably, in the country. Ed Rollins with us live at the bottom of the arrow. What does he think about the changes to the Trump team? And we'll, of course, take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Enter some of your emails and feedback from the Facebook posting. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How quickly this time could go between now and Election Day. Weeks go by very, very fast, and you have to try to win every single news cycle, every single day, and it's been a while since they could claim that over a week's time. There's a lot of headwinds, to be honest, Dana, and you know it. 2020, the Trump team makes a move at the top of the ticket for the president to get four more years. Two things must happen. He must engage the virus fight and define Joe Biden, breaking down what his America would look like. But can he do it? Will he? Number two. We now have fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. And that was the criminals who should be in jail clapping behind him. Are you are you incompetent or is this just come naturally? Are you trying to be this inept? Mayhem in our cities is being ignored by liberal mayors like the one you just heard from New York to Oregon. I'll tell you how law enforcement can combine with the Trump team to bring back Saturday to our streets before it's too late. Number one. We're looking on uh, at least uh, what we can do from a therapeutics and vaccine standpoint and trying to make sure the American people are are well informed that we keep our schools safe, our communities safe. We've made a a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah, Mark uh, Meadows weighing in, chief of staff. It's got to get better. From the testing to school openings to engagement and advancement, we have to get better at living with the coronavirus. As a country, we have to stop fighting each other and start fighting the pandemic. But can we? So yesterday, 77,000 new cases. I think that's a new high. Florida, 156 deaths, 13,965 cases. South Carolina, 69 deaths. Uh, You know, we have 25 states with increases. In Arizona, there's some good news beginning to bend back. Uh, It looks like New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, we're pretty holding, pretty much holding steady. But the country's being besieged again. And the problem and you've heard this say this before, is testing. You can't go in for a test, expect to stop a hot spot, even I know this, and have to wait five to seven days to get the answer back. These Abbott tests are four months old. Why doesn't everyone have them yet? I just don't get it. I don't. And and I get it from the vice president overseeing the states. These states were flat-footed. They thought they beat it. We thought they beat it in Florida. We thought they beat it in Texas. So it's back. So we got to beat it back. And that's going to be the key. Because if uh, we are so busy blaming each other, we're never going to get anything done. Well, we'll get another rescue package done because politically it's advantageous for both to do it. You know, hopefully we'll get some immunity for workplace. Not that I think that people should abuse it, but if you don't abuse it and people get sick and you get sued and destroys the company, that doesn't help anybody. And then 
people will never actually open up. So the pandemic should be paramount. That is key. Mark Meadows, cut two. Obviously, when we look at at, uh, the coronavirus and trying to deal with it, we've learned a lot over the last four or five months. And and sadly, it's a virus that we know that we're still looking for the answers from China in terms of the source of it. But more importantly, we're having to deal with uh, uh, how we make sure that there's proper therapeutics. Uh, We're working very quickly. I just left the Oval Office a few minutes ago as we're looking on uh, at least uh, what we can do from a therapeutics and vaccine standpoint trying to make sure the American people are, are well informed. But I think the other part that we have is is really all about trying to make sure that we keep our schools safe, our communities safe. And uh, obviously, um, we've made a, a lot of progress, but there's still a lot well, of work that, to be done. So Mark Meadows is a great spokesman for the president. He's obviously a professional politician. He actually understands the president, and can, he's a true conservative. And he's right. When Mick Mulvaney Uh, who wrote an op-ed for CNBC, said, quote, my son was tested recently. We had to wait five to seven days for for the results. Uh, Noting, too, that his daughter was told she didn't qualify for a test. This is simply inexcusable at this point in the pandemic. So Mick Mulvaney is not a critic of the administration. In fact, it's a wake-up call that he would say it. Chief of Staff, OMB Director, he's just saying, guys, you got to get better. We know it's up to the states. But having said that, you're helping out the states when it comes to law enforcement. Help out the states if they're inept or or caught flat-footed with Florida because, for example, with Texas, uh, because with Arizona. These are Republican governors who thought they beat it. We all thought they beat it. But when you have scientists who say, "Okay, take this down, wear a mask, wash your hands, it's really rudimentary. They might be elite, uh, elite think or deep thinkers, elite minds, but I have not seen it yet. So if the scientists are going to let you down and China will never be candid, you got to find a way. Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday thought he'd do a Facebook interview with Mark Zuckerberg, who used that time to tell all his employees how President Trump is not cool anymore. Cut 11. You can get the mindset. Well, listen, if I'm infected, I don't know I'm infected. I'm not feeling sick. Who cares? I'm not bothering anybody else. That is incorrect. Because by allowing yourself to get infected, you are propagating the pandemic. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. No one walks around saying, let me get infected. But they say if they if you do get infected and don't know it, we should just submit ourselves to tests. I I don't know. What do you want us to do? Then we're going to overwhelm the entire system. We're already 40 million tests. We're trying to do a million a day. So you want healthy people going in for tests? The problem is I know he's smarter than me, and I love his communication ability. I just have yet to see Anthony Fauci say something that would help me. Instead of turning around and saying America should have totally shut down, well, don't praise us when we did shut down. The economy ground to a halt. We're still buried in debt. 1.3 million people filed for unemployment claims, and that's still not good enough. So the rescue package has got to be good. The president wants it to be a payroll tax cut. The Democrats want another $600 given to everyone's unemployment, which, look, you probably lost your job through no fault of your own. But there's no pressure to get a job if you're getting paid more money not to have a job. I thought that went without saying. I hope that doesn't look cruel in an election year, but it's the fact. Senator John Kennedy on trying to work through this for the president of the United States, if he wants to get reelected, This is the first stop every day. I would not mind seeing a condensed version of the coronavirus task force every single day. Cut three. We are going to start working on another coronavirus bill. 
I don't know whether it will pass. I don't know what will be in it. The only thing I'm certain of at this juncture is that uh, it will not be Speaker Pelosi's bill. She introduced what she calls the Heroes Act. Uh, I've read it. It reads more like the Communist Manifesto. And I think it'll probably be dead on arrival in the Senate. So get it done. She said she'd actually stick around to get it done. I don't trust Nancy Pelosi. I think she's one of, you know, people say she's a great politician. I just don't think she has the country's best interest in at heart as her own. Look at her city. Look at her state. The other big issue is getting back to school. Uh, do you know anyone that doesn't have an opinion on this or feel we should get back to school or not get back to school and fervently believes it? There were delays in California to Virginia. They've delayed the start of their school year. The Houston Independent School District in Texas announced Wednesday that it will delay its opening by two weeks uh, until September 8th. In New York, in this area, we only start in September. Sports starts earlier. Other districts delaying Selma City Schools in Alabama, the Los Angeles Unified School District, Atlanta Public Schools will be starting online only. In South Carolina, they will start three weeks later. What drives me nuts and what just backs up what the president's always said, school openings should not have anything to do with politics, and they do. You want proof? Look at what the Los Angeles Union demanded, teachers union. Okay, so you're going to say they want longer lunch periods. You're going to say they want it earlier. Do you want to say that they want additional help in classrooms? Do you want to say they want additional funding in order to provide cleaning equipment? Uh, And, I don't know, additional nurses in schools? Wrong, 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 and wrong. You know what they're asking for? Medicare for all, a statewide wealth tax, housing for homeless uh, fully funded, financial support for undocumented students and families. Wait a second, it gets better. They also want privately operated, publicly funded charter schools to shut down. This is Bernie Sanders' agenda, and it's also the L.A. Teachers Union agenda. So when the President of the United States says, is politics playing a role in this? And you say, oh, Mr. President, you're a rookie politician. You're only seeing your self-interest. No. He's street smart and sees these lists and says, this is not about the kids. The kids don't spread the virus. Almost none. They don't get it either. And uh, uh, fatalities are infinitesimal. And if 400-plus kids will die of the flu, but you still send your kids to school, and the numbers are even less when it comes to the coronavirus, don't tell me you have compassion and a big heart and care about your kids. That's why you're keeping them out. If you did, nobody would go to a public school because the the flu comes out in September uh, through through December. When we come back, I'm going to play Victor Davis Hanson. Again, he puts it brilliantly. When we come back also, I'm going to talk about the challenges. Uh, the challenges that we're putting and the pressure we're putting on China, the explosions in Iran, and guess what the U.K. and Canada agree on? Russia is trying to hack in to our computer system, to our labs, and steal the vaccine. The vaccine that we almost have, that Moderna's almost through with, that Oxford is pushing forward with, Russia wants to steal it. Admiral James Charvitas on that. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. Admiral James Stravitas joins us now, 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, sailing true north the name of his book, his website, AdmiralStab.com. Admiral, welcome back. I, I have to ask you first off uh, about China. It seems like we're putting an awful lot of pressure on them for, for good reasons. Two aircraft carriers in the South China Sea. We had our attorney general call out Hollywood for even dealing with China uh, and business as well. And then we have, uh, we have the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, putting a lot of pressure on our allies to stay away from Huawei while condemning them for everything from the virus to their economic practices. Is this, a, this is a pretty comprehensive attack plan. It is, and it's the right thing to do. Um, I've said it often. We, we, we really do need to bend this relationship with China. We want to avoid breaking it altogether. We don't want to get in a shooting war with China, uh, nor do we want a massive global trade war. But I think by putting smart pressure economically, diplomatically, politically, and militarily, you do those in combination it's a plan, and I think you're going to see Secretary of State Pompeo talk about that strategy pretty coherently out at the Reagan Library over this weekend, Brian. When are you going to be convinced it's working? Uh, I'll give you three indicators to watch. One would be that China uh, backs off on its uh, attempts to build these artificial islands in the South China Sea. This is a preposterous claim on their part that they simply own the entire South China Sea. It would be like the United States claiming to own the entire Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea combined. That's how big the South China Sea is. So watch for a reduction in construction of these artificial islands. Number two, watch for China to show flexibility on trade. So uh, do we get this uh, phase one trade agreement that the administration has very painfully negotiated? And can we move on to a larger, broader trade agreement that has some balance in it? And then number three, uh, look for China's attitude toward Taiwan. Uh, Look for China. What we would want to see is China to be uh, less Uh, overtly aggressive, less uh, moving military in and around Taiwan in an obvious attempt to intimidate them. I think those are the three key indicators that we're starting to succeed. Well, that would be great. Uh, But I think in China's China's view, 
president's trailing right now. They might be thinking, listen, I'm going to wait for this guy to get out of here in four months, and I'll just I'll try my hand with the new administration. Do you think that's a tactic? I think that is absolutely a tactic on the part of China. But as you will recognize, not only China, that's, I think, exactly what Iran is doing. I think that's what North Korea is doing. Uh, globally, everybody's going into kind of rope-a-dope, if you remember that old boxing strategy. Uh, and we're just not going to see uh, real movement on any of these issues until after November. We are seeing real explosions in China. Every week you come on, there's another one. What's going on? What do you think's behind it? Uh, in I Iran, excuse me, explosions little, in I, Iran. I, yeah. I, yeah, of course. I think there are very little doubt at this point that this is a concerted campaign on the part of Israel. Um, I would doubt the U.S. is involved in it, uh, but I look at the current uh, leadership team in Israel. You have a co-prime minister, one we all know is Benjamin Netanyahu. The other co-prime minister is uh, former General Benny Gantz, who takes a very strong attitude. He's a close friend of mine. Uh, he would, I think, be someone who would want to uh, use very forceful means in dealing with Iran. And then, uh, little notice, the new foreign minister of Israel is former General Gabi Ashkenazi, former chairman of their Joint Chiefs of Staff. So they have very senior military at the highest levels in Israel. It's a relatively new development. I think they are pushing hard, and they, conversely to what we just talked about, China, Iran, North Korea are uh, hoping for a flip in the administration. Israel, I think, is hoping to see the Trump administration stay in place. They feel very close to the Trump administration, and they feel they can take these shots now uh, with the Trump administration. So like in uh, Top Gun, uh, you know, I had the shot. I took it, Maverick. I think that's what you're seeing. Yeah, it was interesting. If the president closed the gap, if he gets on a roll like he did in 2016, it'd be interesting to see how it affects foreign policy when they say, well, maybe we're um, where we could be in a lot of trouble if we continue to wait everything out. So a uh, quick fast forward to Russia. The U.K., Canada, the U.S. all agree they're trying to hack and get our, our, uh, uh, get our vaccine. Number one, why would they be so ham-handed about it that the cyber experts all picked up on this? Yeah, we're actually uh, pretty good at this point of seeing the uh, actions of this particular unit, Brian. It, it goes by a couple of different goofy names, mostly Fancy Bear. And it's, uh, it's a well-known hacking unit. They have very specific techniques. I think the, the answer to the question, why was it so easy to pick up? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Roe. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share on it is because they're desperate and they are taking chances they wouldn't normally take uh, in terms of showing their hand because they know they have zero chance of developing a vaccine inside Russia. They've gutted their uh, research and development facilities over the years. The economy's in desperate trouble there. Um, They feel as though we can't produce it. We're going to have to go out and steal it. It's not smart. 
Uh, they've been caught ham-handed, as you say. A better procedure for them would have been to, to go hat in hand to China, try and partner with China. But Russia, especially under Vladimir Putin, wants to continue to try and show the world that they're a, quote, superpower, unquote. And in fact, they're not. And this simply proves it. UK, uh, we have only 20 seconds, but the UK gave us a victory. They backed off subscribing to Huawei. Yes. for uh, So that that's great, right? It is. And let's hope some other allies get in line with us. Um, and this goes back to our first conversation. If we're going to deal with China, we need to do it collectively. Admiral James Stavridis, thanks so much. Follow him at AdmiralStav.com. Appreciate it. Ed Rollins next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're going to win the election. When you look at Joe, he doesn't know what he's doing. Everybody knows it. He's been doing this for 47 years. Now, all of a sudden, he turned green. Okay, he turned green. He's become a greenie. And he's going to have all our businesses within a short period of time working off of a wind. We'll close up 90% of the factories in our country if they do that. And Texas will be out of business. We'll lose 10 million energy jobs. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Ed Rollins joins us now. He's seen a lot of crazy things in his great political career. A GOP consultant, currently co-chairman of a pro-Trump Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump super PAC called Great America. Ed, was the president right? Uh, crazy things, yes. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, if the energy plan becomes the big debate of this campaign, then, then uh, I think Trump has a, has a real advantage, as he does on just about anything on the economy. Uh, his problem right today is obviously he's had a very, very serious problem among women, um, which is not, he's not alone in that. Republicans have had problems with women voted before, but he's, he's, he's way down. He's 58% to about 35%. Uh, he's got to turn that around. Uh, uh, he's got to basically at least knock 10 points off that. Uh, equally as important, he's got to make sure, oh, you know, he keeps talking about, I've got 98%, i got 95%, i got 92% of Republicans. Uh, there's some erosion among Republicans, uh, and, and you got to make sure you've got uh, the, the, the numbers of Republicans are diminishing, uh, and you've got to make sure that you, you win 90-plus percent, uh, and you've got to make sure that right. the largest group of voters in America, to their independents, uh, they're a plurality of voters, uh, and whoever wins over 50 percent of that vote uh, usually wins the presidency. Uh, he's not, not doing as well there. Bill Stepien takes over for Brad Parscale. Are you glad for this move? I'm glad for this move for, for several reasons. Not uh, Parscale had never run a campaign before. Uh, he took a lot of money out of this campaign. He's got a lot of, uh, you know, he may be a social media genius, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, Bill has Bill has run campaigns. He's, he's he's worked with some some of the best in the country. Uh, uh, he's well liked. Uh, he doesn't have a big ego. He's going to go in there and basically uh, sit down and run the campaign. Uh, and he'll be in the headquarters. I mean, the problem with Parscale was he spent a lot of time in Florida, his, uh, his new luxury home. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, you've got to be there every day. You've got to basically – you're the decision maker uh, when you're the campaign manager. You've got to be there. You've got to be available. You, you have to lead by, by your example. Now, do you think Jared will still be running the campaign? If so, he has no experience. 
Well, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I think Jared needs to be out of there. I mean, I would, if I was, if I was Bill, I would insist I report directly to the president, not to, not to the chief of staff or anybody else. Uh, I'd meet with the president a couple times a week and say, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Uh, if you have any objections to it uh, or any thoughts about it, uh, move forward. Uh, Jared has absolutely no experience, uh, but of course he has no experience in anything he's trying to undertake. And if you look back over the last three or four years, uh, uh, he's, he's tried a lot of things, but he hasn't accomplished it. But politics is something you need a little bit of experience. Uh, uh, and the fact that you were you were there at the inaugural last time doesn't make you a campaign expert. So are you OK with the president using the Rose Garden to talk uh, talk about a campaign? And absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think I think this is an unusual election, obviously, because of all stuff, sidebar stuff. Uh, he's got to communicate with the public. Uh, he, he likes rallies. Uh, I just he may not be able to have rallies. Uh, he like he wants a big convention. He may not be able to have a big convention. At the same time, he's just got to drive his message. Uh, he, he's an effective communicator. Uh, he's got to stay very focused on two things. I think, uh, uh, and he has a tendency to get off off message pretty quickly. Right today, the American public cares deeply and worry every single day about this virus uh, that is still um, like like a wildfire. It's running rampant. Uh, he's got to basically either use his experts. Uh, to talk about it or basically seem to be on top of it himself and not dismiss it. Secondly, he's got to get people back to work, get kids back in schools, uh, and those are the things he needs to focus on. You know, he wants to go, obviously, fight in the cities and, and uh, you know, make sure everything is, you know, there's lawlessness going on everywhere. That's a natural temptation to go in there. But that's not what's going to get him reelected. What's going to get him reelected is just, is, is, is the Make get this economy moving again, or at least the premise that he is the guy that can get the economy moving again. And obviously, that's where he gets the best marks. And secondly, that he cares deeply about this virus. He's going to throw every element of the federal government at it. Uh, that doesn't mean he has to do press conferences every day. But, as a matter of fact, I'd argue against that. But use his expertise to talk about it and assist state and local who are, who are obviously fighting this battle. I mean, uh, when, you, when you have the scientists say things as basic as wash your hands and wear a mask, what's the president going to add to that dialogue? Well, we looked at the numbers. They're going up in uh, Texas, beginning to go down in Arizona. Okay, and so are you saying maybe bring back the daily briefing, maybe don't bring on the question, leave after the que- before the questions? I would, I would argue don't have him there every day. Uh, uh, you know, it, it should never have been him, uh, in my sense, is is Cuomo had a pretty good run in New York uh, with his daily briefings, and I think Trump attempted to do that. Uh, and they went from from a ten minute briefing every day to an hour, hour and a half uh, lecture on a variety of things. This president needs to be very, very disciplined in what he talks about. Uh, he did it at the end of the campaign last year. He needs to be disciplined again. Uh, and that message has to be: we're going to get people back to work. We're going to get people well. We're going to do everything we can to make sure this virus is stopped. Right. Uh, we're going to get our kids back in school. We're going to take, make sure they're safeguarded, uh, and we're not going to put them in a situation that they can't, uh, that they're going to get ill. But this thing is, is he's, he's got to basically be a leader, in, and he has the ball. He's, he's he, you know, the, the reality is the president uh, has, has, you know, the ball, and, and he can he can basically do a lot. The key thing here, I think, is they have underestimated their opponent from the beginning. Uh, this isn't about Joe Biden, and it isn't Hillary Clinton. It's not. It's not the two thousand. Uh, race all over again. It, it, it's it's about him, and he's got to basically sell himself again to the American public that I can I can get this country moving again. I did it once. I'll do it so again. It's interesting. Ed, you do not think you should go at do what Obama did to Romney and make him unelectable or attack him consistently. You didn't want. You don't think that they should do what Bush did to Kerry and say 
you know, member reporting for duty, and then they looked at his uh, military record and found huge holes in it. You're saying in this case, a weaker opponent, you you say, but you do not think you should make Joe Biden answer for this left wing agenda. I would be happy to go after Joe Biden with surrogates and what have you, but the president has to get himself well again. And the reality is, uh, re-elections are always about the incumbent. And again, every election is different than the last one. Uh, And they still think they're running the last election against Hillary. Uh, Joe Biden is not going to basically, because of the environment we live in, is not going to basically be the whole issue. The whole issue today is Donald Trump. Can Donald Trump get us back? He's got extraordinary uh, negative remarks. Uh, and in a way, this is this is like George Bush's election, uh, the, the senior when he lost. Uh, I mean, I remember going in and having a conversation with him. My wife was the highest. My wife at the time was the highest ranking woman in the Bush White House. And I said to him, Mr. President, you know, you, you, you're going to lose this thing. And uh, there's a lot of unhappiness. And he said, are you kidding me? He said, Bill Clinton. He's a draft dodger. I was the commander in chief of the Gulf War. Uh, well, the reality is he lost. Uh, uh, and, and my sense is today, uh, if the election were held today, Trump would be trounced. He's got three and a half months to move. Uh, a lot of things are going to happen. Now, you got to build in that there's a lot of elections that are going to take place before Election Day. Uh, you're going to have a substantial uh, mail-in vote, absentee vote, uh, and you've got to build all that in. But uh, the reality is uh, you got to make sure your message is consistent. I'll get us back. Those guys aren't any good. Their policies are, are out of range. But, but you got you to – he has to reconstruct himself in a positive way. So he reconstructs himself, have surrogates take on Biden, but not uh, – don't bring up his intellect because – or his failings because too many seniors are saying he's making fun of me? Absolutely. And, and equally as important, Trump, Trump's not perfect on the on the, on the verbal uh, front either. So, you know, the reality is all all with Biden. This is what they did. To, this is what they did to Mondale tried to do to, to Reagan when Reagan had a bad first debate. Well, he's too senile. He couldn't do this. All he had to do was stand up there and not duel in the second debate. And, and he turned it around. My sense is Joe Biden is is smarter than they think he is. Uh, and, and he will be ready for the debates. Uh, and, and, you know, you don't want to put everything on the debates. Uh, you want to put everything in your presidency. This is what I've done. This is what I will do. Look at what these people are going to be. If you have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and, and Joe Biden leading this country, where are you going to take it? That's OK to have that kind of conversation. But you've got to get yourself uh, built back up again. So right now it's all about Trump. It's all about Trump. Have you talked to him? Nope. You, are you allowed to as a super PAC guy? I'm not supposed to. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, I talked to him, talked to him on television or radio. Uh, and it doesn't matter if I was there. You know, he's 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 a guy who basically has lots of people talking to him. Uh, he does what he wants to do. And uh, hopefully the new the new campaign manager will be able to have a dialogue with him and not have to go through uh, the chief of staff and not have to go through uh, uh, Jared Kushner, uh, neither of whom are, are particularly adept at politics. Mark, May, so you're not impressed with Mark Meadows? Well, I, you know, he, he, he's, he's a decent guy. I liked, I liked him when he was in the Congress, but he's certainly not taking charge of the job there. And the fact that you couldn't even handpick your successors, which you tried to do in a congressional district, there's a big difference between presidential politics and congressional politics. I've done both. Uh, presidential is much bigger, much more effective. Uh, and he's got a big job there in the White House. and just gets on top of that. My sense is Bill has as much experience, uh, the new campaign manager has as much experience, is anybody in there? 
you know, I tried to suggest on Lou Dobbs last night, but he shot me down that uh, the person in our party who knew more about women voters than anybody was Kellyanne. Uh, it was, it was one of the Kellyanne Conway. Top-notch, not, not top-notch pollster for 25 years. Uh, she ought to not be running the campaign, but basically be giving an input on what's happening with women. Because we don't get women back. We don't get suburban women back. We'll be killed. So, by the way, I brought that up. I said I watched how I, this is exactly what I said on Fox and Friends 45 minutes ago. I said uh, Ed Rollins was on, actually an hour and a half. Uh, I said Ed Rollins was on with Lou Dobbs, and he brought up Kellyanne Conway. I brought it up to her. And she says, well, I have a direct path to the president. I could talk to him directly, and you could tell she lit up. She would love the opportunity to have the influence that she had on the campaign, my opinion, just judging by her reaction. And she also sees a lot of mistakes that they're making. But more experience than anybody. I mean, the reality is, is uh, I'm not telling her to go in and run it, but basically have, have, her, go in, have her go in and basically be uh, be someone who is, is adding a voice, very important voice in the campaign. Uh, Ed, there's this, we did this poll, they did this poll yesterday and it came out and I don't doubt it's wrong. They, they had a very unique question. Do you think that there are secret Trump voters? And 27% of people said yes. And then someone said, another 15% said somewhat. There is this undercurrent belief that people don't say they're supporting the president because it brings up so much, uh, so much friction in people's lives. How much is this secret Trump voter going to factor in? I've been hearing about secret voters forever. Uh, you know, you just don't know that the, the pollsters don't get when you do as many polls as we do. Uh, you know, there's, there's hundreds of polls being done every cycle in these days. You know, the you know, was it two percent, five percent, eight percent? I think what you're going to find, as the Wall Street Journal just found, there are secret non-Trump voters who are Republicans. Uh, they're Republicans who aren't going to vote for him, uh, and they don't want to be out there saying they're not going to vote for him because you're assuming if you're Republican. So that's what they have to get back. You've got to have you've got to have a 95, 98 percent Republican vote, uh, and then go after that independent. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of water ahead of us here in this campaign, and a lot can happen. Uh, but if the election were held today, a week from today, uh, it'd get trounced. Uh, uh, I said to you on your show a while ago, these are numbers I saw with Walter Mondale uh, uh, when I was running Reagan's campaign, and it scares me. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, I always, I always, and I, and I had a long conversation with Bannon last week, I always run scared. I don't quit until, until the day after the election. Now you, gotta, now you can't quit until a month after the election because it may be a close election. It may be a long time before you get all the ballots counted. My sense is they assume Biden's a weak candidate and therefore going to run the same campaign they ran against Hillary and they're going to win. That's a bad strategy. But you I would go out and you got to just, just by just taking what you said as fact. That makes me think that by defining Biden and let him know what this country will look like, like this inner city, like these liberal mayors in Chicago, in Seattle, in Portland uh, and, of course, New York City. Let them know about the statues being taken down. They don't care about our history. And and there's a candidate out there that's not really saying anything different, uh, letting it go, not commenting on it. That, to me, shows those Republicans who might be on the fence because they don't like the president personally. I don't want that America. I could probably deal with this America and I'll have influence. The truth of the matter is if the, if the protesters were not out there tearing the, tearing the country apart, uh, uh, Trump wouldn't have a chance. Uh, my sense is, is he can't make his whole campaign about that because, again, 
he has to be out there. He has to be strong law enforcement and, and the cities and states aren't going to let you take it over. But the reality is you can certainly talk about the, the, the underlying issues that are here. Uh, this needs to be put to a stop. You've got to protect the lives of cops when they're out there on the beat. Uh, that's a That's a good part of the strategy. But don't forget, you've got to have some sensitivity to the, to the virus and to the people that are on the front lines of the virus. Because, again, you lost you lost older voters, which are your base. Uh, you've lost some evangelicals, which are obviously very important to you. You've lost women even worse than ever. You've got to get those people back and you've got to work on those issues. Ed, it sounds like you should be right in the middle of the fray. Uh, so um, you, cool. you're also a realist. <laughs> Uh, Ed Rollins, a GOP consultant, he's actually running his own uh, super PAC for Donald Trump uh, called Great America. Ed, thanks so much. Always great. My pleasure. Take care. Always learn a ton. At Ed Rollins, find out what he thinks if you want to write him directly. I'm going to come back and finish up with what's on your mind, uh, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'd also like to take this opportunity to give you a quick health update. I'm doing well. I've been continuing my treatment and it is paying off, though it does fatigue me a great deal. My numbers are good. I'm feeling great. In fact, during the break from the studio, I even wrote a book that will be coming out July 21st. Once again, I can't wait to return to the studio and start recording shows for the new season in September. You know, I was worried. I've never met him, but I, everyone feels like you know Alex Trebek. And I was worried when they said Alex Trebek has a statement. I said, oh, my goodness, because he's got stage four pancreatic cancer. And it's good news. He looks great. I, I saw the video. So uh, that he's a, an American institution. I can't imagine somebody else ever doing that show. And one of the things you're going to do is show the very first episode that he hosted. And I think it's still top three syndicated shows in the country. Joe is listening in St. Roberts, Missouri. Joe. Hello, Brian. What's yeah, on your mind? I just wanted to say that uh, I think that Trump can't win unless he somehow reaches out to Democratic voters. I, all we hear from him is the, the, the radical left and the do-nothing Democrats. And after you hear that so many times for so long, you begin to feel like he doesn't give a shit. Oops. Uh, what you do is, I don't think he has a shot at the Democratic uh, voters, but he's got independents and undecideds. Rob, Fox News Radio app, Rockland, New York. Rob. Hey, what's going on? What's on your hey. mind? I have a question. 2016, the polls were just as bad as they were now. I mean, I don't understand what the difference is now. Everybody's gloom and doom. Saying he's, he has no chance, he'd lose right now. The polls were the same back then. He wasn't doing that well. And I have an advice. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I voted for Obama twice, Clinton, and Trump's first one, I voted for Republican. My advice to everybody out there is stop looking at what the man says and look at what the man does. What the man does, if Biden's in or if Trump's in. I mean, I don't know how you can't get a Democrat voter when you look at what Biden would do to the country or what the Democrats would do to it now. Yeah, just get on the other side of the pandemic and then make Biden accountable for what he would do and then let make the American people make a choice. 
And then I think you're right. But the pandemic is overwhelming everything, and the president's got to just take it on. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, buddy, it's uh, latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We come to you live from New York City, but heard around the country, actually heard around the world. We got listeners from Kuwait uh, to the UK to Australia. We truly appreciate it, uh, especially because we're such a glo- we're all going through the same thing on some level, and that's the pandemic. Whether you're a country like Japan who beat it back for now, or, or China who's denying that you ever had it or how it started, or Russia who is basically Vladimir Putin, despite his all his power, and his thuggery, he's actually losing popularity in that country because of the horrible way in which they've handled this pandemic. And they deserve it because they mocked us. And we are knee deep in that. And that's who we're pretty much discovering. Geraldo is getting set to join us in a matter of moments. And we might have a special guest at the bottom of the hour. We'll see uh, about that. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Also, special thanks to Talkers Magazine. Every year they rank our top, the top 100 uh, most powerful, influential uh, radio talk show host. And now we went from 98, I think, originally to 27 to 17. And last year, stunningly, we were seven. And this year we moved up to number five. So number five is, is, is fantastic. And uh, we truly appreciate it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three how quickly this time could go between now and election day. Weeks go by very, very fast, and you have to try to win every single news cycle, every single day, and it's been a while since they could claim that over a week's time. And that is the great Dana Perino talking about the Trump team making a move at the top to get the president four more years. Two things must happen. He must engage the virus. Uh, he must fight it out and define Joe Biden, breaking down what his America would look like. But Kenny Willie. Number two. We now have fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. That is uh, the anything but great Mayor de Blasio. Is he trying to be incompetent or does it just come naturally? Mayhem in our cities. It's being ignored by liberal mayors from New York to Oregon. I'll tell you how law enforcement can combine with the Trump administration to bring back sanity to our streets before it's too late. Number one. We're looking on uh, at least uh, what we can do from a therapeutics and vaccine standpoint and trying to make sure the American people are are well informed that we keep our schools safe, our communities safe. We've made a a lot of progress, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, That is uh, Mark Meadows. It's got to get better. From the testing to school openings to engagement and advancement, we have to get better living with this coronavirus as a country. And can our nation stop fighting each other and start fighting the pandemic in an election year? That's what I'm going to pose to the great Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, do you think we could stop with knowing that three months we might have a new president or four more years with the same? Stop what? Stop fighting and start fighting the virus. No. No, I don't think we can stop fighting. I think uh, it is ingrained. I I think that when you see how 
uh, half of the country wants to defund cops, and the other half wants to uh, have cops stop this uh, this spiking violence and disorder and anarchy. And uh, I think the country is ir- ir- not irrevocably divided, but certainly for the for the rest of this election year, I think that there's there's really two two Americas, and law and order is a perfect example of an issue. Uh, the the people want to defund cops have an idea of law enforcement that is is so uh, obnoxiously uh, untrue. Yes, there are plenty of faults within the the world of policing, with ten million encounters or ten million, 10 million arrests uh, a year. But my God, to throw out the baby with the bathwater and to disband the uh, defund cops and disband the units that are doing most of the arresting, I think it's absolutely suicidal. It's it's ridiculous. It's it's horrible. It's it's letting uh, you know a few loudmouths uh, you know alter public policy. So uh, I think the president should exploit the difference between Joe Biden's stance on law enforcement and law and order and his own. Right? Here is Mayor de Blasio yesterday. Tell me if this makes you feel better. Cut 16. We now have fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. I don't know where the hell he gets a statement like that. I I just don't understand it. With uh, shootings up in triple digits and murders up in triple digits. And he says the city is safer than it's ever been because the jails have been emptied due to COVID-19 or the bail reform, I think is is an example of uh, an absolute disconnect with reality. Uh, Mayor de Blasio is so loathed by police officers. When you think of the relationship between cops and the mayor during Rudy Giuliani's uh, tenure, during Michael Bloomberg's tenure, how the mayor and the cops worked hand in hand to make New York the safest city, big city on earth. And now to watch cops getting clubbed on the Brooklyn Bridge. I went to Brooklyn Law School, the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge. I have cops getting clubbed in the head. Uh, I'm I'm thankful that they arrested three of the thugs that did that uh, uh, yesterday. But, I mean, there is a disrespect, Brian, that never existed uh, during my my, uh, formative years. The cops were always held in a bit of awe. Uh, and yes, of course, sometimes there's bad cops and particularly, uh, you know, specific challenges when there's a black man uh, encountering a cop. Uh, but for for centuries, we've needed cops. And for generations, we've looked to our police forces to maintain uh, law and order and giving people a chance at a life. When you take a, a, a toddler and kill a toddler in the crossfire, I mean, it, and, and then say cops are bad uh, when it's, it's guns and thugs and hoodlums and uh, criminal. I, you know, I, I get very frustrated, Brian, because uh, we have to embrace cops. We have to show them support. They're, the 99% of them are good people who just want to do a good job and go home safely to their families, Brian. They foment hatred. They don't try and help us move forward. I have been fighting with them for years. And they have been fighting with our police leadership for years. They attacked Jimmy O'Neill viciously. They've attacked Dermot Shea. They don't try to create anything good. They only try and tear down, which is why I have no respect for the leadership of the SBA.
So he's talking about Ed Mullins and company who are critical of him because he's destroyed the police department by really emasculating them. And that's his answer to that. And remember, they, they turn their back when he walks in to visit uh, slain officers or wounded officers. Uh, they can't stand him. Uh, and I, what do you do, Geraldo, if you're uh, Dermot Shea? You know, it, you know that he, he's been hamstrung. But yet, do you quit on the job? I, I think that there's, a, there's several things, because uh, you mentioned Ed Mullins, the head of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association in, uh, in New York. Ed is, I love him, but he's a politician, and there's a lot of politicians in the various police unions. But politicians have mustered the support of more than 1,000 police organizations, which includes, the all obviously, the rank and file that put the, the PBA officials in place, more than 1,000 of them, the National Association of Police Organizations, in the last couple of days have endorsed Donald Trump for re-election. They did not endorse any candidate in 2016. Now all these cops, 900,000 strong, plus their spouses, and they all vote, or most of them vote, are voting for Donald Trump. And it's, it's Joe Biden and the Democrats' fault because of their reckless rhetoric because they've taken what are, uh, you know, uh, uh, agreed that there are abuses, but they've taken these abuses and, and exaggerated them and magnified them and repeated them and trumpeted them to the extent that they've beaten down the ordinary cop, the regular cop on the job. Right. They've, uh, they've fostered disrespect in the community. Uh, it, it is absolutely inconceivable in my day in New York that someone would feel in, in the public, in open public, with people watching, that they could club a cop in the head with a baseball bat. That could never happen in years past. No question. And, uh, gotcha. But de Blasio, to say he was safer than ever, I, I, he's smoking something that they found in Rikers. Uh, perhaps. And we've got to find a way out of this. The other thing that's happening is you look at Seattle, you look at Portland, and it's totally out of control. And the police uh, are trying to reestablish themselves. But if you want to know the difference in thinking and mindset among Democrats and Republicans, look at this guy, Congressman Jay Powell, who is a big supporter of Bernie Sanders. He sees the embarrassment that happened in Seattle. He actually said the takeover was a good thing. Cut 26. I am a full believer in the rights of protest and dissent, and Seattle has a long history of that. As you know, Bob, we were the site of the WTO protests. We have had several um, occupations of, of, of buildings um, in and around Seattle, and it's been a very effective tactic. And I, I, you know, I think that the anger that was a part of that really stemmed from the militaristic response that our police force had. So the, the, when the police got angry that they took over the precinct and were told to by a lawmaker or lawmakers and the mayor, they're upset at the police being angry at them taking over a building. And she thinks it's a good thing. Like I said, I don't know what she's smoking, but the problem, particularly in Portland and Seattle, uh, they referenced the uh, old WTO uh, yeah. riots of uh, 1999, the Battle of Seattle. In those days, the Antifa-type professional agitators could easily provoke cops uh, to, uh, to an aggressive response, tear gas, uh, billy clubs, whatever it is. Nowadays, the cops are much harder to provoke. But because the cops are much harder to provoke, the aggravating uh, uh, 
manifestations, they, what, they, what the demonstrators are trying to do, has gotten so egregiously violent. They use ball bearings. They use lasers at night and shine them in the cops' eyes as if they were being targeted. They uh, uh, use uh, the cherry bombs and all the big fireworks that are like grenades on some of the big of them, the M-80s and so forth. They throw them at, at the cops. They, they know that to provoke the cops nowadays, and they come to these demonstrations with milk, with uh, uh, you know, helmets uh, with their own uh, body armor. These, these these agitators. They know that they have to go over and above. They got to bust in windows. They've got to cause as much disruption as they possibly can. Stop traffic and so forth. Uh, and, and there's an escalating, uh, you know, uh, level of violence that is undeniable. And they don't. These demonstrators, they don't, they don't even know George Floyd's name. It's not about something about that. It's about being professionally disruptive, making government dysfunction, and for elected leaders to say what that, that person said about had turned out to be a good thing is someone who absolutely disregards the rights of the, of the owners of the property and the businesses in the community and the, and the homeowners. It is, uh, you know, it's a flagrant disregard for the ordinary, normal, reasonable life that ordinary people have, and shame on them, right? All right. Uh, he is uh, he is Geraldo Rivera, and he now can officially start his weekend unless Sean Hannity <laughs> makes him do his show. No, tonight. no, no. I, I hang up the phone now, and that's it. And that's it. Hide. All right, Geraldo. <laughs> by the, the way, on our on our rundown, you have no last name. It just says Geraldo. Is that okay with you? <laughs> Me and Lassie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And share. And Don't forget yeah, about right. that. And Elvis, right. All right, go get him, Geraldo. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Brian. Thanks. You got it. one 408 7669 When we come back, why I believe going back to school is pure politics, and it's not about the kids. I got proof. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Children are the cooling rods of this reaction, and they don't, they don't get the virus at all very often, and they tend to be not very uh, infectious, and they don't transmit it. And so in some weird way, it's good that they're around, and the people that are vulnerable are just what you said. But the teachers don't want to do that because that would mean that the economy would be fully operative, they wouldn't have a political agenda and we would get back to normal. They're getting paid now not to teach. And uh, everybody knows it. And the people who have to pay their salaries, the taxpayers, don't have that luxury. So it's very selfish what they're doing. And, and again, it's ironic because the progressive teachers are always lecturing us on let's follow the science. The science is clear from Scandinavia, Switzerland, China, that children are not the problem. It's just who you talked about, people my age over 60. And we can treat them and 
without shutting down the entire economy and school system. He works in Silicon Valley on the Hoover Institute. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson weighing in on uh, with me with Tucker last night, lucky enough to fill in there and talking about the fact that we should be getting kids back in school like those other countries he mentioned. But here's the problem, unions. And what do I say about that? It's not subtle. Union demands to go back to school. Privately operated, publicly funded charter schools need to be shut down. Medicare for all? Really? Housing for homeless, fully funded, financial support for undocumented students and families, and they want $500 billion. Are you nuts? Are you telling me you're there for the kids? I'm not saying the teachers aren't great. I'm saying their union is terrible, and they have it's all politics. Dave is listening on the Fox News Radio app in California. Dave. Hey, Brian. I, I was just curious about, you know, everybody's saying about the women vote, the women vote. I don't know what the hell they want Trump to do. He's giving them child care things. The economy helps him just as much as it does anybody else. The police are backing him up now. So now they have protection. What do they want the man to do? Uh, Well, they feel as though his crass ways and talking so bluntly in different areas and not being zoned in more on the virus and showing empathy is a turnoff for them. Well, he's not marrying them. He doesn't want to marry them. They don't want to marry them. I, I, I don't get it. I, I mean, the guy's doing great. So, I'm Dave, listen, I'm always- just telling you what the stats say. And Ed Rollins wants the president to win. And he just he's very he wants to change. He wants to see them change in a direction. And it's really got to come from the candidate. But when you have somebody that wants Trump to win and says that, there's no reason to be defensive about it. He's been doing it for 50 years. He's had a lot of successes and he's had failures. Mike Huckabee, Ross Perot have been failures. Uh, Bush 41 the first time. Ronald Reagan twice. Those are his outstanding successes. Phil listening on KCRS in Midland, Texas. Phil. Brian, I guess I have to echo the guy that was just on. I mean, I love listening to Victor David Hansen. So great he was on. But I, I am discouraged by listening to, uh, you know, Ed Rollins, you know, and the guy that I can't, I just lost the thought of who the guy was on yesterday with you, uh, the guy with the whiteboard. But I mean, the president Cold has done everything. He shut down the country. He was called a racist. You know, he, 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 I think he should run on the economy, making it great again, because it isn't great right now. It's not his responsibility. All I'm saying is I am frustrated by listening to Ed Rollins and, and, and things like that because the polls are not accurate, Brian. They're just not. Okay, uh, we'll see. Listen, America is a much better place with President Trump with all his problems as president than where Joe Biden's going to bring it. So the president's got to do two things. Get ahead of the pandemic once in a generation pandemic and also define Joe Biden simultaneously. And he's a one man army. Don in Missouri. Don. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Hey, I was wondering why they don't create a database for this hydrochlorine. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine. People that have, that have been on it for an uh, extended amount of time and find out how many have tested positive for that. I know. And also, you I know. I'm working on that. And I will say this. Uh, the studies show you get to it early, you combine it with zinc, and it works. So don't, it was all pure politics that sidelined it to begin with. Now is the beginning of the fallout of friction with Anthony Fauci and the president. When we come back, we might have a surprise guest, but more importantly, within 15 minutes, you're going to be back on the line. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The animosity towards the police right now. That really is probably the biggest thing that we're seeing. Uh, there's a feeling on the street that the police can't enforce the laws like they did in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to get communities out there saying, no, we want the police to do this. We want the police in our neighborhoods. We support the police. And that'll help build the morale for our cops back up, which is so important. Well, is it is the morale bad? Pretty uh, obviously. And that was Terrence Monahan, who thought he broke his finger, but did get hit in the head during an altercation on the Brooklyn Bridge when they were marching for unity with other African-American clerical leaders. It didn't go well. They were confronted. Uh, by a group who were caught on video grabbing bats uh, about a block away. Hawk Newsom joins us now, co-founded Black Lives Matter in the greater New York area. You saw him on with Martha McCallum, then with Chris Wallace. So I'm his third favorite Fox guy as of right now. Maybe I can go up in his rankings. Hawk, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, Hawk, first off, would you would you uh, agree with Terrence Monaghan that right now— uh, uh, the ride, there's a lot of animosity towards police right now in New York more than ever? Uh, here's the problem. Cops have screwed up a lot. And now that they're being reprimanded on both sides. You had Tim Scott, you know, on the Republican side saying, you know, cops aren't doing what they need to do. Things need to change. You have Democrats saying cops aren't doing what they need to do. Things need to be changed. And what are they doing? They're responding like a bunch of big babies. They're whining. They're complaining. Oh, our morale is low. Oh, I'm sad. People don't have faith in us. I believe in the Bible it says, gird up thy loins. Well, I challenge police across the country to gird up their loins and accept the fact they've done wrong and correct it instead of digging their heels in and crying. uh, Hawk, just to give an idea, this was the safest big city in the country. What do you mean they've been screwing up? Well, if you look at New York City and you think about the most highly publicized cases of police brutality, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. We're talking about Abner Luima, a police officer, uh, sodomized him with a plunger, took the same plunger in his mouth, Eric Garner, who we all saw choked to death on camera. And you had NYPD brass coming out and saying that, that Daniel Pantaleo was wrong for choking him. You had Anthony Baez, who was choked to death in the streets, unarmed you have the white kid um the little the the homeless white kid who was just beat unmercifully until he had blood coming out of his ears on the on the subway last week like let's 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 not live under any delusions you can enforce the law and obey the law at the same time now if we start talking about safety first then we might as well throw the Constitution out the window. Well, okay. I don't know what you mean by that, but I will say this. How many interactions do you think in New York alone cops have with everyday people? And then you point out these situations, many of which paid the price with prison uh, and back. And you're going back 20, 25 years, paying high-profile high cases. So, yeah. so you think the cops are the main problem. You don't, you don't think those are aberrations, those, those now, things you're listening to? here is the problem. 
I despise the fact that, that people like you sensationalize these stories. Can we talk as two men? Can we talk? What as am two I? What am I sensationalizing? Can we talk as two people who care about New York? You're, what we're talking about is people who are being hurt by the police, and most of these police officers do not go to jail when they hurt people. You had two NYPD officers who raped a woman a couple years ago. They didn't go to jail. You have a police officer who's been running cocaine with, with El Chapo's cartel. He's facing charges. The cop to kill Eric Garner didn't go to jail. The cop to kill Sean Bell the night before his wedding didn't go to jail. So what I'm saying to you is, if we're talking about a doctor who's operating on people and he's killing people, we don't just give him a pass. We look at the facts and we say, hey, well, this doctor was negligent. Good he point. Have and I'll, t- I'll, take that, I'll take that example, Hawk. What if I'm a doctor and 99% of my patients uh, will write a, rec- a letter of recommendation it comes out great, and, and they choose to focus on the 1% that go terrible? And they have examples of, uh, of, uh, of unwarranted death that could, have been, that could have been saved. You could focus on the 1%, but the 99% that are giving people directions, that are making sure neighborhoods are safe in, uh, in, the, in working class neighborhoods. I think to characterize the cops the way you characterize them, I think is, that's more sensationalistic than any question I asked. I beg to differ with you, sir, because I actually stay, pay attention to these meetings. I've met with New York City's comptroller, Scott Stringer, and I look at the tens of millions of dollars that we, the taxpayers, have to play because of uh, police misconduct. That's every year. You know how much money we're paying because of this? And then when they go out and they beat the crap out of someone, we go out and protest, and then we have to spend many more millions on overtime. Like, like these are okay. Like, like, let's let's be honest here. I don't see. I'll be honest with you, Hawk. People, you want them to be perfect. I don't think any walk of life they're perfect. I don't think I don't think the teachers are perfect, but I think most of them Mm -hmm. are great. I don't I don't think that uh, politicians are are anything close to perfect, but we do have some great ones. But when you look at the cops, I don't look at them as the problem. Let me ask. Let me ask you this. Let me tell you a story about some cops. Well, we, but I did hear your illustrations, and they're all over the newspapers. But can I ask you okay. for your for your situation in Black Lives Matter? Um, uh-huh. What is the mandate of Black Lives Matter? Is it for racial equity? Is it for law enforcement reconfiguration? Do you want to restructure American society? What is the mission? Uh, I want the liberation of black people, which looks like the end of systemic racism. Okay, you have to understand that systemic racism is real just because a person like Donald Trump calls something fake news. It doesn't mean it's untrue. Can we take a break and listen to the scholars? Can we take a break and listen to the experts in the field? Now, you can't have someone uh, like the president who says that police are perfect and then turns around and passes the First Step Act. If mass incarceration is bad, you have to look at who filled up the jails with those people, and those were the police, okay? You have to look at the judiciary system that punishes blacks for the uh, 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 for the same crime that they commit as white people with similar uh, records I, at 
harsher. Okay, you kind of you. No, we you, have to look at. Numbers. See, I, I hear we you, and I also know you have a you have a um, you have a diverse background. Don't you have a degree at Columbia? No, man, please. You think they let me into an Ivy League school? I went to. <laughs> I was a high school dropout. I have a business degree and I have a law degree. Um, okay, how'd you get a law degree and drop out of high school? I uh, played a little basketball, and I went back, got took my GED, and I went off and played uh, played ball in college. After college, I went and worked for the Bronx District Attorney's Office as a paralegal, and then as their right. special projects coordinator. So I know. I know what it's like from a law enforcement perspective, right. and I know what it's like from a citizen's perspective. So, I'm not just someone who's running so, around. If angry, you're making the country better, it. I hear you. I hear you. I know your background. If anyone wants to minimize who you are and um, and your background, they're, they're just they're going up the wrong tree. No one's ever going to question uh, that you go to school on this stuff. And you're not just yelling out slogans and a bullhorn. You want to get into debate. That's why I find it so intriguing. I'm so glad you're on. But I want to give you, uh, I just want to ask you some basic questions. Uh, sure. When it comes to Black Lives Matter, people, I don't know anybody that doesn't want racial justice. There's people way left or way right that might have some deep embedded uh, racial qualities that I don't, I don't think they even quantify. Everyone wants to level the playing field. Do you... Do you approach this as a, uh, I want to make the country better, or do you want to destroy the country? Let me tell you something. I am in an abusive relationship with America. I love this country, but this country doesn't love my people. They I do. I lost friends in 9-11. I have uh, close relatives, first cousins, who are majors in the armed forces. I have cousins who work for the Department of Homeland Security. I have cousins who worked on nuclear uh, submarines. Gotcha. Okay. And like, so, like, so like, you love the country. You don't feel the country loves you back. Well, they put us in chains. Our, our neighborhoods are dilapidated. There's a lack of financial opportunity. Our schools are failing. I just, I just don't see the love. And, well, and let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something really quick. I know how you feel, but my inbox is full of Fox viewers calling me the N-word, calling me I hope monkey, not. and threatening my life. Well, that, well when, you, when you told Martha you wanted to burn the country down, uh, that, that really uh, threw people. Uh, then I watched you with Major Garrett on his podcast, and I said, I'd love to have the same amount of time. But unfortunately, I'm against a break. I want to play Terry Crews to you. Major's my man. Major's my man. Yeah, he was great. he's a great guy. I uh, used to yeah. work here. Um, here's Marcus Wiley. I want you to hear Marcus Wiley just talk about Black Lives Matter and tell me if, he's, if, if you don't know out there who he is, outstanding sportscaster, football player. There's a problem with when you start to go down this road of the freedom of expression, freedom of speech. How much social space is allowed for those who don't support in that same space? We know what identity politics does. It divides and it polarizes. I don't know how many people really look into the mission statement of Black Lives Matter. Being a father and a husband, that's my mission in life right now. How do I reconcile that with this mission statement that says, quote, we dismantle the patriarchal practice. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. I respect what you're protesting for, but will you respect others who don't support that same protest? So, Marcus, did, did he, uh, uh, Hawk, did, did Marcellus misconstrue your mission statement? Uh, well, we at Black Lives Matter, Greater New York, 
we have a different mission statement. As you all know, we are an independent organization that is one of the most effective organizations in the country. We negotiated with Governor Cuomo and had four pieces of common sense legislation passed. If people go to blackopportunities.com, they can see our legislative uh, 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 recommendations and some of the bills we drafted. Like, we're not just out here uh, uh, screaming, saying, hey, uh, change the world. No, we're giving people common sense steps. Here's something. So, I right, so can I just ask you this? Are you against the nuclear family? Listen, let me tell you something. I am a cisgendered man. I am a Christian. I am what I'm against is this patriarchal system that oppresses women. It's BS and it's crap. Okay. What, what do you mean? Women should have equal representation in business and in government. There's no whim, reason that women should be so grossly underpaid. That's All right. So, so you're for equal pay for that, but you're not against that, the nuclear that, that, family. That you're not anti-family. Let, let me tell you something. How could I be anti-family when I have two beautiful black children that your viewers threaten? Okay. Like, how could, I, how could I be against that? But at the same time, my Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. So I don't care who people have sex with. I don't care who people marry because I am not God. Let, 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 let people live their lives. We have enough things okay. to worry about than to worry about. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think we're past that same-sex marriage. I think that's eight, ten years ago. Uh, we, we get it. But let me ask you this. When you, uh, when you look at our country right now, do you believe uh, that they, we have made progress uh, since, let's say, even the 60s, the 1960s? Do you see a lot of progress and a lot of hope? See, here's the thing. I don't see enough progress, okay? I, like I said before, am a patriot who believes in the American dream, which has turned into the American nightmare for black people, for brown people, and for all poor people. We, we had a black president of the United States, we're, we're, the most the most respected person in the country is Oprah Winfrey. The most the 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 two hottest personalities in my lifetime have been Michael Jordan and uh, and and Muhammad Ali. Are they aberrations? Okay, you're talking to me about black athletes. Talk to me about black greats. Okay, like we are so much more. We have so many more contributions to add than through sports and entertainment. True, but I'm just giving you an example of success in America. Okay, I'll tell you like this. None of us are good until we're all good. Okay, you must realize that when black people get their rights, everyone gets rights. Black people get to ride it at the front of the bus. Everyone gets to ride at the front of the bus. Black people uh, break barriers in education. That opens up the door for everyone. Uh, a lot of people don't realize, and they always throw MLK at me, Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King Jr. You realize that people called Martin Luther King a terrorist in his time. They called him a communist in, in his time. But now we're, we're, we, we, we're, 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 we, we caught this, 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 this social amnesia and, and, and we don't remember how much Dr. King was hated just like Black Lives Matter has been vilified, it's become a talking point for conservatives to say, hey, 
these people wrong. What's the, what's wrong with change? Show me the laws that have been passed that are wrong. You look at defunding the police. Do you know what we're saying when we say defund the police? Invest that money in things that we, in organizations that we call violence interrupters. Well, if you, you know, look, we'll, at and we'll math, have to get into that at a different you, time. If, if, I'm up against a hard break. Math, if you look at the math, these violence interrupters do a better job at keeping communities safe. Uh, than police. I've never seen it practically apply, but I will say this. Martin Luther King, I looked it up. It's he so left the second most... He, he, we, clo- we closed the century. He was the second most uh, respected person after Mother Teresa in America at the close of 2000. That, but you're right. He had 38% approval in, uh, in the 1960s. Hawk, thanks so much. The government for killing him, they were found guilty well, in a lawsuit. Uh, not, they were, the government didn't kill him. Some lunatic killed him. Hawk, thanks so much. To be continued. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. By the way, Brian's gotten a lot better, right? Brian was a seven, and he's getting close to ten territory. Uh, little did he know how right the president was. Uh, what rally was that from? Do you remember where that was from, Eric? Or Allison? Uh, yeah, he he likes to rate me all the time. But uh, to me, I don't want to be a ten with the president because I, I need to be... Uh, Fair and balanced about the whole thing, or else uh, your compliments mean nothing if everything he does is great or, or bad on uh, the other way. So listen, it's really good news. I uh, just want a special thank you to Talkers Magazine, the most influential magazine in radio and podcasting and audio in particular. Uh, we went from nowhere to top five in the country, only trailed by, only ahead of us is Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Dave Ramsey, and Mark Levin. And we, thanks so much. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I appreciate you being there. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. Everyone who watched us on uh, Tucker last night, Fox and Friends in the morning, we appreciate it. Also, the war on history continues the way I'm fighting it. You can go out and grab any of my books uh, on briankilmeade.com. It goes to my bookstore. I could sign it. We could send it out. Uh, And also, I'll give away to some callers because this hour, we're going to be joined by Larry Kudlow at the bottom of the hour and Shannon Bream shortly. But in between, it's all about you. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How quickly this time could go between now and Election Day. Weeks go by very, very fast. And you have to try to win every single news cycle, every single day. And it's been a while since they could claim that over a week's time. Dana Perino knows all about politics and expressing it there. 2020, the Trump team makes a move at the top of the president. It's really all about him. If he wants four more years, two things must happen. Must engage the virus, define Joe Biden. Can he do it for the country? Can he do it for himself? Number two. We now have 
Fewer people in our jails than any time since World War II. And we are safer for it and better for it. Really? Are you trying to be incompetent or has it just come naturally? Mayhem in our major cities. It's all being ignored by liberal mayors from New York to Oregon. I'll tell you law, I'll tell you how law enforcement can combine with the Trump administration to bring back Saturday to our streets before it's too late. Number one. We're looking on uh, at least uh, what we can do from a therapeutics and vaccine standpoint yeah. and trying to make sure the American people are, are well informed that we keep our schools safe, our communities safe. We've made a, a lot of progress, but there's still a lot well, of work the, to be done. And that, of course, is uh, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows. It's got to get better. It's got to get better from the testing to school openings to engagement and advancement. We have to get better living with the coronavirus as a country. we got to stop fighting each other and start fighting the pandemic. Can we three months from an election? I was told by Geraldo Rivera, absolutely not the case. But a very sunny, happier, more optimistic Shannon Bream is uh, is is a different person than Geraldo Rivera, I've been told. She might have a different take. Shannon, are you more optimistic than Geraldo? Uh, I might be, but we do have the same mustache if I don't keep it under control. I did not know that. And that is something that I is don't, don't pick up fact, on cable. I've been able to keep it at bay. Well, thanks. Uh, things are good. I've been, I've been watching you every day. Uh, and I'm getting to watch you because you were on at nighttime all this week. I don't know when you sleep, but we are very lucky and blessed to have a double, triple dose of you whenever we can get it. Right. And you're right, Eric. She is very sarcastic. And that really no, hurts my feelings. No, not that part. Maybe the mustache part, but not the part about you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, so so I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at what's going on. When you see Mick Mulvaney come out and say, hey, I had to wait five to seven days for my uh, son and was told my daughter was not eligible to take a test. That's an issue when you have people that are on the president's side saying, you know, we got to get better when it comes to the testing in these hot spots. Now, I think that's an issue. And the president's got to make a decision to engage. Don't you agree? Yeah, and I think that we will see him come back to some form of the coronavirus briefings. Um, He was actually polling a lot better with people on this issue when he was out there, Um, at least early on. I mean, when he when it turned into a two hour fighting with media, saying people started to kind of flake out and be like, "Okay, that's not what we signed up for. But when he stood there with Fauci and Burks and, uh, you know, the Surgeon General and all the different people who were involved, um, I think people felt like they were getting information. They were still scared. It was still bad, but they had some feeling of reassurance from the commander in chief. So I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see him at least pick that up in some way again. But I mean, the, the truth is testing is really hard. I mean, I have a friend who waited 14 days and I'm like, well, you could have had it then. So 14 days later, you get a positive result, but you could be completely healed by now. Or you didn't have it then in the 14 days you picked it up. I mean, that, a test that lags that far is just it's not practically helpful for any kind of tracing or getting things under control. So I don't know where the hiccup is, if it's in the processing on the back end in the labs, if there's not enough personnel. I don't know. But um, I think that we need some action to get those turned around quicker. Shannon, we got to do the Abbott test. Uh, that's the test I had. You know, I had it. You know, if you go to the White House, you get that before you get yeah, near the I president. Yeah, I had one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, you know right away. Yeah. And, and look, I know the president gets special treatment. He should. But you got to get to the football. You got to get to the NFL. You got to get to colleges. You got to get to baseball. 15 minute test. Take the test because you can't target. You can't trace. We all have been to school on this by now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And go ahead. it would be great for school, too, because I think people are very worried about, 
getting the kids back, even though the doctors and the scientists keep telling us it is the way to go. There, there are so many other needs of kids that will be met by getting them back to school. Um, but if you could test teachers, administrators, kids that easily, I think it would allay a lot of the fears and make that process of returning um you know, much smoother and, and reassuring. And the truth is, okay, maybe the Abbott test is the most expensive. I don't know if that's what's holding it back or they just can't manufacture them quickly enough, but something needs to change there because we know those are available. You and I have had them. Um, whatever we need to do to make that more widespread, I think that's just as practical, a practical uh, step as you could take. And we got to figure it out. Yeah. So to me is how do you deal with it? Don't you cannot hunker down again. So Fox 35 in Orlando, you're probably familiar with. And I had Mm. this reporter on, on Tucker and we had him on radio too. Uh, He comes up with this story. He says, you know, I just can't believe some of these numbers. The Orlando health recorded 98% positivity rate. And he said, wait a second, what's going on? Orlando health, 98%. Everyone walks in is positive. The Orlando Veterans Medical Center, 76% of everyone that walks in is positive. He said, this doesn't make sense. So he started calling and he said, and they said, listen, is it true that everybody testing positive just about? And they said, okay, let's get back to you. They call back and they said, no, uh, it's 9.4%, not 98%. And when it comes to the veteran, do you believe this? And then when it comes to the Orlando Veterans Medical Center, the positivity rate, 76 percent, a spokesperson for the VA then came back and told Fox 35 on Tuesday that it did not reflect the numbers that they handed down. It is actually 6 percent positivity rate. And then this morning I get this story also out of the same, you know, Fox 35 does a great job. Clearly, they came out and said a friend of theirs uh, died in a motorcycle accident and they recorded in the hospital right. as co- coronavirus. Yeah, I saw that this morning, too. And I was like, oh, I got to dig on that and, and look at that story a little bit more. But, but yeah, apparently they asked if there was an underlying condition for the 20-something person who had been listed on the COVID list. And they were like, well, no, they were killed in a motorcycle accident. So uh, you got to wonder because you don't want people on either side of this thing playing with the data. You don't want us to be given a rosier picture that encourages us to be more risky and doesn't tell us the truth. But you also don't want to, um, you know, have a situation where people are terrified and they are fear mongering and that they can't make rational decisions about their businesses, about their children, about church, their house of worship, whatever it is. Um, I had a doctor tell me uh, earlier this week, he says, hey, just so you know, um, he's been overrun with people, obviously, who are afraid that they have COVID and he's trying to manage a practice and that kind of thing. And he says, um, just so you know, if Joe Biden is elected president, coronavirus is going to disappear. (laughs) So, I mean, he clearly is somebody who thinks it's become political. Um, I think we all know it's not going to disappear regardless of who is elected. Um, But maybe the way the media treats it would change under President Biden. I don't know. The amount of distrust, uh, you know, when that happens. I mean, it's going to be magical how many schools are going to insist on opening as opposed to insist on closing. And that's what bothers me. And obviously the president doesn't have an unspoken thought. He has made it clear he thinks it's pure uh, pure politics. I mean, I'll give you an example where we're at with school closings uh, as of this morning. We have a delay uh, in states from California to Virginia. Houston, uh, their independent school district, announced it'll be a two-week delay, September 8th. That's, a, that's dealable. They'll be online uh, for a few weeks. In Selma, Alabama, uh, they are going to be at home for the fall. 
Uh, starting online in Atlanta, Horry County Schools in South Carolina will be at least three weeks delayed. Kansas, Arkansas, West Virginia have delayed openings for their districts. In Kansas, the quote from the governor, I can't in good conscience open schools when cases in the state are at an all-time high. Now, in Kansas, an all-time high, a little bit different uh, than New York. Then you have Orange <laughs> County, uh, California say, yeah, we're opening up on time and you don't even have to wear a mask. Right. I mean, we're all over the place. And that's the thing about um, these coronavirus restrictions and about schools. I mean, they're controlled at the local or the state level. And there are a lot of people that argue, well, that's the way it should be, um, especially control of schools should be closest to those parents, to those kids, where you can look at the data in your community to see if it's smart or not to do this. Um, but there's going to be a patchwork all across the country. Um, it's, you know, we have these 50 laboratories of democracy, one of the things that makes us so special. But it means you're, are, you are going to have people across the spectrum making all kinds of different decisions. I had a couple people on the other night from Orange County. They were on this advisory board. One of them was a medical doctor, a pediatrician. And they had put together these recommendations to give to the Orange County Board of Education, which voted, voted four to one, this thing where you don't have to have masks and all this other stuff, no distancing, whatever. Um, but the, but they're ultimately leaving the decision to each of the, the local school districts. And most of them have said, no, we're not doing that. We're going to open up because we think it's the best thing for the kids, but we are going to do masks. We are going to do distancing. All of my parent friends that have kids that are like four, five, six, eight, 10, 12 years old are like, good luck getting them to keep on a mask for eight hours a day. Um, you know, some of them here in the Northern Virginia area have gotten these emails that say, start practicing now with your kids in the summertime wearing masks six to eight hours at a time. And they're all like, delete. Like, there's no way I'm doing that with my kids, you know, before they even have to go back to school. But, you know, good luck getting a bunch of kindergartners to do it. So, well, a, I mean, and you know, what, you know what the thing are. is, though, Shannon, your choice is the kindergartners don't sit by a laptop either. They're not showing up. It's too much pressure on the parents. It diminishes the Mm -hmm. skills these teachers have, why they go to college, get their master's degree. They've been doing this 10, 12 years. Now you want parents to stay home and get these kids to stare into a laptop. Well, and and they're freaked out about how they're going to go back to work. They can't just indefinitely keep getting these delays or even an employer who will work with them if they can work from home and say, I'm still trying to juggle four hours of instruction for my kids, which they hate it and they don't want to do it. It's not effective. They're not engaged, and I'm trying to run my business from home. So, I mean, I think parents are very worried about the work side of this. And for single parents or for the average family who can't afford to have a nanny or somebody sitting with their kids all day, they got to go back to work. I mean, they have rent to pay and mortgages to pay and bills to pay. So the kid thing's not just a convenience thing. It's an economic thing for millions of people. But this isn't a kid virus. And when I found Mm -hmm. out that hundreds of kids die from the flu, but no parent I know of that I've ever met said, I'm worried about the flu, my kids staying home for a semester. Here's Victor Davis Hansen, cut five. He's out in California where the insanity looms. Children are the cooling rods of this reaction. And they don't, they don't get the virus at all very often. And they tend to be not very uh, infectious and they don't transmit it. And so in some weird way, it's good that they're around. And the people that are vulnerable are just what you said. But the teachers don't want to do that. Because that would mean that the economy would be fully operative. They wouldn't have a political agenda and we would get back to normal. They're getting paid now not to teach. And so, everybody- so, so that's a fact, what he just said. And to say they have a political agenda, you say, well, now he's going to the world of politics. However, as you've reported on your show, the L.A. Union gave a list of demands. And it sounds like a Bernie Sanders campaign rally. 
I want to eliminate privately operated, publicly funded charter schools. I want Medicare for all. I want statewide wealth tax be implemented. I want housing for a homeless. Excuse me. Where do the word kids and learning have to do with what the L.A. Unified School District Union wants to accomplish? So you no wonder why the president's head's ready to explode. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting to see. We're seeing this in so many different scenarios playing out where people say, whether it's about the school thing or, hey, we want to defund police, but here are 10 other things that we want. And you're like, I can't even connect the dots between these. I don't know how this list of demands goes with that that original thought or argument or issue that you had. But I think people see chaos right now, and there are people who have always uh, been ready and prepared for moments of chaos so they can jump in with whatever their particular issue is, or no issue at all, just to create anarchy and chaos, Mm -hmm. which for a lot of people is the issue. Um, So I think that, uh, yeah, a lot of people see an open door to more government funding or to massive changes in restructuring the way that we do things, and they don't want to miss this opportunity or this moment in time where um, people are at their wit's end, and and some people are afraid to speak up and, and say what they think is right or what is true because of cancel culture, um, and then people will tell you there's no cancel culture and you're crazy for saying that. So we're just in a really difficult moment where people are all kind of in it for themselves. And I, I don't see us working together, um, you know, the whole e pluribus unum thing. That's not happening right now. And I think, um, you know, the good uh, regular American people who are extraordinary have risen to the challenge many, many times um, through the Civil War, through economic depression, through all kinds of Um, you know, problems internal and external. So I believe we can come back together, but sometimes it gets really ugly before, you know, it does turn a corner. And I think folks out there need to not give up hope and feel they're defeated and that the, you know, quote unquote, bad forces that would tear apart uh, apart this country are going to succeed. Because I do think that people who are against that and would fight back against there are out there, you know, in in Uh, much greater numbers. And we end the way we started, much more optimistic than Geraldo. That's Shannon Bream. In fact, I would not be surprised to see that on your website. Shannon Bream, much more optimistic than Geraldo. Back in a moment. Thanks, Shannon. See you tonight at 11. See you then. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Larry Kudlow joins us from the White House, National Economics Advisor to the President of the United States in about five minutes, but uh, about nine minutes. But right now, it's all about you. one 408 You know my book, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, out on paperback. You know we're in the middle of a war on history. The latest thing, Thomas Jefferson being moved off the campus of Hofstra University because it offends uh, African-American students. My goodness, it costs about 60000 to 70000 a year to go to Hofstra. If it does offend you, you're entitled to be offended. But why would you go to a school that has a statue that offends you? Pick another school. There's a million, especially if you have $70,000 laying around. Andrea, listening online in Orlando. Andrea. Hi, Brian. It's such an honor to speak with you. Well, thank you. Uh, What's on your mind today? Okay, two points I wanted to make. One about Trump and women with the coronavirus is um, that they could just focus on Mike Pence because he's an extremely likable person. He's the one heading the task force. 
I just wanted to make that point. And the second point about the gentleman with Black Lives Matter, he very much frustrates me because I think he's very narrow-minded and he only sees what he's looking for. For example, I've had police officers stop in the middle of the road in front of my house and they're carrying a turtle out of the road. They've helped me find my dog when it's lost. And I think you were making this point to him that the vast majority do serve our community. And there's always going to be good and bad people regardless of what profession you're looking at. And the other point with him was when I watched him on Martha's show and he made the comment that Middle Eastern people are all black, that I'm from the Middle East and we come in all different shades yeah. and my family immigrated to this country. Is, is he referring to back to Jesus should not be depicted as white? Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I think Jesus can be anything, but like, but he just said, his connection was that because he's from Middle East, he's black. It just was a really ignorant statement. Andrea, thanks so much. I'm going to get you a book. If you just hold on, Pete will get your name and number. You pick the one you want. Uh, let's go out to Benjamin. Listen on WABC in Manhattan. Benjamin. Hi, Brian. I want to make a quick suggestion about how the president might do better among seniors and those who, with underlying conditions. You know, not all of these people, including myself, are in nursing homes or living with grown children. And all of the programs kind of ignore us. I think he might want to do something like subsidies for like Meals on Wheels or God's Lovely Deliver, or maybe extended unemployment insurance for those who have to work, like I have to work, and will have to go back without a vaccine. Or maybe even recommend special senior hours for supermarkets and laundromats. I know that's not under his control. Uh, but uh, And also really strongly recommend the uh, wearing of masks indoors. Not so you much got outdoors. It. It's subtle things, Benjamin. I think they're all good suggestions. And I'm glad you're okay. Uh, they're all solid suggestions. I don't know if it's legislative, but I think it's a good spirit. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are going to start working on another coronavirus bill. I don't know whether it'll pass. I don't know what will be in it. The only thing I'm certain of at this juncture is that uh, it will not be Speaker Pelosi's bill. She introduced what she calls the Heroes Act. Uh, I've read it. It reads more like the Communist Manifesto. And I think it'll probably be dead on arrival in the Senate. Uh, that is uh, Senator Kennedy, as you know, our Louisiana always likes to tell like it is with great illustrations, did last night. But one thing everyone, every side agrees on, I couldn't say that a month ago, is there'll be another rescue package. And with us right now, a man that'll be all over that, uh, Larry Kudlow, White House economic advisor, who uh, I guess, Larry, you, you feel as though, especially with these shutdowns, we need more stimulus? Uh, yeah, not necessarily just the shutdowns, but I I think there's uh, a number of incentive-oriented policies that will really help growth both now and over the longer term. Um, and I think there is going to be uh, a new CARES package. Uh, I think Senator Kennedy is right. It is not going to be the Speaker's CARES package. This one will be smaller, much more targeted, much smarter and efficient uh, going after things. And I will repeat what the president has said in recent weeks, actually, that one of the policies should be a payroll tax holiday uh, between now and the rest of the year, which gives everybody uh, six and a quarter percent higher uh, 
take-home pay. That's important. It also gives an incentive to work, and that's very important. And we'll make some adjustments to the unemployment uh, bill that was passed last March, uh, probably a cap on total unemployment benefits. And we will also provide, I think, uh, Brian, uh, none of this is final yet. It's pre-decisional, but we're looking carefully at a um, return-to-work employment bonus, a re-employment bonus, if you will, things that will help us uh, to uh, get the economy going. We're on a V-shaped recovery. I'm still thinking that's what's going to happen. There may be some small moderation in July on the economy. I haven't seen it yet, but it may be because of the um, shutdowns in the Southwest, although those stories are improving in some cases, too. But anyway, there'll be a bill. And we'd like to get the bill done by the end of this month, frankly. So Steve Mnuchin says forget the payroll tax cut because the Democrats won't have it. It will never get past the House. So let's move past it. You don't want to move past it, nor does the president. That usually means nothing gets done. Well, I just want to say there was a story uh, run on Fox by a reporter who said there's some kind of epic battle or civil war between Steve Mnuchin and myself. And I just want to make sure to clarify, that is simply untrue, utterly untrue. Uh, He and I are friends, good friends and colleagues. We've been working together for years, going back to the 2015 campaign, and I've been in government here for two and a half years. He is a good man. Uh, We are on the same page. Uh, We may kick around different options and different ways to execute presidential policy. Uh, That's important. But, you know, discussions don't mean civil war. We work well together. We're on the same page. And uh, Stephen, of course, will support. We will both support what the president wants to do. That is part of our jobs, and we will execute it right. to the best of our ability. So, so he there's, tweeted there's something no out. Civil war. That yeah. story was well, just completely inaccurate. But, but see, he tweeted something out. He said, uh, "Larry Kudlow and I have been good friends and colleagues for years, and work closely together. The idea that we're in a civil war is truly absurd." So yes. let's say it's not personal. It is professional that you disagree on this. Number one, he believes in putting forward that Nancy Pelosi wants and won't budge off continuing the unemployment benefits, which include that $600 per individual not to work. I mean, we want everyone to get to work, but if you're getting more not to work, uh, the street smart feeling is you don't do it. I mean, the $600, if it's there, the president's not going to sign it. You're not going to be happy about it. Well, I think both. The secretary and I agree with what you just said. There have to be incentives to go back to work. Uh, So, yes, we will reform uh, the CARES unemployment bill from last March. Uh, I think we're looking at a cap on total benefits, and we're also looking carefully at a reemployment bonus. Uh, Steve Mnuchin and I completely agree on that, as does the president. So uh, when did the negotiations start? And when you say it's not going to be as much money, they're saying a trillion dollars. Are you comfortable with a trillion? Uh, it's a decent ballpark number, Brian. I don't want to, you know, we don't have a, a red line figure on this. Um, it's going to be a lot less than the Speaker Pelosi's uh, bill. That's what Senator McConnell is telling us. I mean, we have to. We're working very closely with the Republican leadership and the Republican conference in the Senate. So I, I don't want to hang a number on it. Uh, 
but I think it'll be a lot closer to one trillion than to three trillion. That's for sure. And negotiations, um, in a formal sense, probably start on Monday when the Senate returns uh, from its uh, Labor Day recess. And as I said earlier, we'd love to get a bill done by the end of July. That'll be great. Uh, Larry, you had 4.8 million jobs last time. Last week, you had 1.3 million apply for unemployment claims. We do know that California is asking everyone to, to shut down to agree again. To We know that's happening in, in about 15 to 20 separate states. Uh, that would make it more challenging to have that V-state recovery, uh, that V-shape recovery. And in your estimation, from being on the outside, being in broadcasting, uh, economist by trade, how much is politics playing a role in getting our country stood up again, being that we're three months from a presidential election? Well, just um, look at uh, my count is there are only nine states that have paused on the reopening. And there's about another dozen, 15 states uh, that might be in phase two rather than phase three. But of the nine, you know, California probably had the, the biggest pause. Uh, Texas less so, Florida less so. Arizona, by the way, the curve is flattened. Very good news from our CDC viral, you know, Mike Pence's task force that me a couple times this past week, and I've gone to those. So it, it's not such a bad story. I mean, the the number of cases has skyrocketed, no question. And in some in some places, yes, there has been a pause in the reopening. But look at Brian. Let me just make this point to um, my friends. Uh, we, 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 Trump administration will not support a, a national shutdown again. We're, we're not where we were in March and April. We're way beyond that in terms of uh, the virus. Um, but having said that, people have got to act responsibly. This is the key point. If you want the economy and business to reopen, if you want to go back to your job and create new jobs for middle-class America, the four pillars, the guidelines must be observed. Uh, masking, uh, distancing, testing, and personal hygiene. Uh, and that should never be a political issue, and I don't think it's a political issue. And uh, even the president now has, 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 you know, he wore his mask to Walter Reed. You may see him do it some more. But in the communities, that's what I'm concerned. If you're in a hot spot, you must observe those four guidelines. If that is done, we will mitigate these flashpoints, as we did last winter uh, with the successful mitigation in March and April. We have no intention of shutting down again. I'm just saying, you want a good economy, you right. want a V-shaped recovery, you want to go back to work, you want to create new jobs – Observe those guidelines, please. It's not political. It's a health and safety measure, and it will work towards economic growth. Larry, uh, there's so many people who listen to the show and watch you on television and want to know what is the future of restaurants, what is the future of hospitality, and especially what is the future of health clubs and gyms? Mm. I mean, they're out of nowhere, they got blindsided and they can't get off the mat. And these politicians don't see a reason to empower them to figure out a way. What are your thoughts on this? What advice do you have for them? It's a tough nut to crack, the restaurants in particular. But I agree with the gyms and your other points. It's very difficult in the states that have had these hot spots and have tightened down, uh, particularly, Brian, you know, we, we do see this in the numbers. There's a couple of websites that track 
in in room dining, in you know, in house dining, indoor dining, uh, and that has hurt, no question about it. Um, my view is. Uh, as we negotiate the next CARES Act, we will be looking at, very hard at relief uh, from those small businesses. And um, we applied some relief in the last CARES Act. I'm sure we will apply more. The president has said publicly, Brian, on a number of occasions that he wants uh, substantial increases in um, business tax deductions for uh, dining and um, entertainment and, you know, sports. The athletic uh, leagues are going to reopen, hopefully. So we're going to try to help them out in the smartest, most efficient way possible. Yes, they are in the worst shape. of the Other areas, I mean, listen, we had fabulous numbers coming out in recent days on industrial production and manufacturing. There's a housing boom going on. Retail sales is huge. Auto sales is huge. A lot of these regional Federal Reserves, they have their own uh, manufacturing indexes, New York, uh, for example, and um, Philadelphia. They're they're just surging all over the place. And the Apple Mobility Index, which had flattened out, uh, looks now it's resuming its upward push. But, 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 you are quite right. The restaurants are now retreating. They're slumping back, yes. And again, you want to solve that problem, okay? Observe the guidelines, and the virus will flatten, and we will get back to work. About a minute left. I'm just wondering, Larry, uh, you've been on the inside, outside, and inside again. What's changed about the media from when you were there during the Reagan years as opposed to with you there with Trump years, now that you're on the inside? Well, yeah, I've been in and out of the media professionally, you're right, and government. Um, I think the media story is just incredibly more vitriolic, more partisan, more biased. I mean, the leftward tilt is quite remarkable. The editorial pages in many newspapers, not all. I mean, uh, we've got the Wall Street Journal, of course, and we've got Fox News, thankfully. But so many of these media operations have just transferred the left-wing editorial page to the front of the news. And that is just completely wrong. Different? Um, I, I, Different. I read, yes. In the, in the Reagan era... Uh, I mean, the media never likes Republicans anyway. The media thinks Republicans are dumb and stupid. But in the Reagan era, you had uh, more conservative Democrats everywhere in office and in the media, and they were more pro-Reagan. They hit them hard, but it wasn't anything like this. I mean, it's just anything President Trump says or does automatically gets black X's Mm -hmm. everywhere. His speech, I'll close on this. I would encourage your listeners, get a copy of Reagan's Mount Rushmore speech last week. It is probably the most brilliant speech of his presidency. You mean Trump? I mean Trump, I beg your pardon. Most brilliant speech of his presidency and one of the most brilliant presidential speeches I have ever read. The media reported it all wrong, saying things that he never mentioned Confederate generals, just to use that point of view. I mean, it was incredible how they provided uh, so-called fake news. So that's a change. The media story is much worse today than it was in the 1980s when I worked for the Gipper. Uh, And Larry, I think he really uh, cherishes having you around. I think he really uh, uh, loves having you around as a personality and your opinion. So it's going to be an interesting sprint to the next four months and maybe the next four years. Thanks so much, Larry. Always appreciate having you on. Thanks, Brian. And continue success. Stay healthy. 
Um, and that is uh, Larry Kudlow, what the White House economic advisor is close to the president personally and professionally as, as you can get. Listen, when we come back, uh, I was going to open up the phones, but there is so much other news to go over. I want to go over it and give you an idea of what's happening. Also, some great news about Alex Trebek to, to relay to you. I'll give away the punchline because it's so important because it's uh, you're talking about uh, living and not living. And also, uh, there's so much else uh, going on in the country. Uh, meanwhile, at this moment, special thanks to everybody who watched uh, Tucker Carlson during the week. I really appreciate being on there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It was nice to have him on. Special thanks to everybody uh, that is supporting the show because we're on a rocket ship with affiliates and ratings. We're now the fifth most powerful show in radio slash audio slash podcast. And it wouldn't happen without you guys, without Eric, Pete, and Allison. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Back in a moment. Talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Richard. Captain America here. How you doing, buddy? So, uh, so I read your story. I saw what you did. Now, I'm sure you've heard a lot of this over the last couple days, but let me be the next one to tell you, pal, you're a hero. What you did was so brave, so selfless. Your sister is so lucky to have you as a big brother. Your parents must be so proud of you. I'm going to track down your address and I'm going to send you an authentic Captain America shield because, pal, you deserve it. Keep being the man you are. We need people like you. Hang in there. I know recovery might be tough, but based on what I've seen, I don't think there's much that can slow you down. That is Chris Evans. So what's he going? What's going on? Well, you know, he played Captain America. Well, it turns out this kid, his name is Bridger Walker. Uh, jumped in front of a dog that was about to attack his four-year-old sister. Uh, Bridger Walker is six. He jumped in front, got 90 stitches. He had two hours, he required two hours of surgery for his face. He is beat up. Here's what is, when his father asked him why he jumped in between his sister and the dog, he said this, quote, if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. Think about this. And at least, you know, Chris Evans calling, you could tell he was moved by this. You know, you would hope an adult would do that, let alone a six-year-old for a four-year-old. This is indeed more to know. More to know. Hear about this story. It's huge in the Washington Post. 15 female uh, ex-Redskins employees alleged sexual harassment. This is a huge story. You would not believe the detail. The only one to go on the record, Emily Applegate, who worked there as a marketing coordinator before leaving in 2015. She was the only woman who spoke to the newspaper. The allegations are just horrendous. It shows an animal house atmosphere. This is me ad-libbing and, t- and paraphrasing. It reminds me of something would be on, on, on a, a 1970s frat movie that would be totally unacceptable then. Uh, owner Daniel Snyder not implicated, but they say he declined, declined an interview. He had to have known what's going on. He's known as one of the worst owners in sports, uh, a mean guy, uh, and it looks like that that uh, that drizzled down throughout his organization who consistently underachieves on the field. Next. The statue of Jesus vandalized at a Catholic church in Canada. Uh, this statue was vandalized at uh, in Alberta. This Fort Wilbert Chin John of Ro- uh, Roman Catholic di- Diocese of Calgary. Uh, they confirmed to the Daily Caller this happened about 1.30 on Tuesday. Think about all that have been defiled here. The Virgin Mary was burned over in Boston. The uh, saint came down over in San Francisco. Why are, the, why are these targets on Christian icons? Next. Alex Trebek gives an update to his fans. 
Uh, he basically says, encouraging news about his cancer. The numbers are good. He is going to be back with a new goatee for a brand new season on Jeopardy. Next. New Yorkers, get ready for a boat in movie theater. You know, we got to find a way to see the movies. They don't want us going to theaters. So now a waterborne movie theater screenings are coming to New York this summer. Sydney-based Beyond Cinema has announced it will bring its floating cinema production to a swath of cities uh, from the U.S. to Australia. And that is indeed good news. The cinema will be up in 12 to 24 mini boats. You can fit in there. Uh, details regarding each exact time and ticket cost. Well, that will be coming your way. The movie business cannot be stopped. Neither can you. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been a fantastic week. Make sure you always tune in or get the podcast on briankilmeadeshow.com, iTunes. You can get it on iHeart uh, or just about anywhere or listen anytime, radio.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.